If you crave technology that leads, if you appreciate design that inspires, if you want driving dynamics that excite, meet the one. The remarkable BMW 1 Series, featuring front and rear parking sensors, cruise control, fully digital display with navigation and real-time traffic information, along with BMW's latest voice control intelligent personal assistant, all a standard. Meet the one with your own exclusive video consultation. Book yours today at bmw.ie. Welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, New Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and today I'm talking to former Don Valley MP Caroline Flint. Now, it's been a year since, um, well, getting on for a year since Caroline lost her seat um, in December's general election, but she's back. She is chairing a new think tank, um, an advisory board for a think tank called the Institute for Prosperity, and they are focusing on UK manufacturing, which we know. It's a massive industry for Yorkshire, and we know it's going to be even more important as we try and kind of deal with the recession that's been caused by coronavirus. So it's been really, really brilliant to have a chat with Caroline. Um, and of course, I also asked her a little bit about what she thinks about what's going on in the Labour Party now. So let's hear from her. Hi, Caroline. It's really great to have you with us. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Jerry. It's great to talk to you. Yeah, I know. It's really, really great to have you on. And it's really great to catch up as well, because oh, it's been, what, a year since the election, since you really sadly lost your seat in Don Valley. What have you been doing for the last year? Um, well, I have to say is that I feel like I'm going through sort of anniversaries at the moment, and they're not all <laughs> great. So um, I think that the anniversary of um, sort of September uh, last year, when um, I was having to go through my reselection because the mm. party leadership decided we should all go through our reselection. Uh, then we had the anniversary, to, and that was just to be the candidate. Then we had the anniversary of uh, the uh, vote in Parliament, which of course um, Labour didn't support the timetable to get the um, uh, bill through, which led to the general election. Mm. And then of course the general election it's, itself coming up. So. Um, I, I think this last year, to be honest, I'd have to say I'm probably, you know, still dealing with being traumatised, actually, still. And all these little anniversaries just bring it all flooding back to us. And, oh, saying flooding, of course, this time last year, we were dealing with terrible floods in Doncaster, like other we parts were. of the country as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's been, um, uh, you know, an interesting year. And, of course, for all of us, um, who'd have thought this time last year we were dealing with this pandemic? So, my goodness, uh, I just sent the birthday card to my, my son uh, and said, God, what a year to look back on. It really yeah, is. Yeah, no, absolutely. But you've been keeping pretty busy, haven't you? Because I've been seeing that you've been doing quite a few little bits. It's not like you've been uh, you've been resting on your laurels. Have no. you been kind of you've been involved in lots of different things and we're talking about one in particular today and it's really it's really exciting isn't it it's this new think tank called the institute for prosperity that you're chairing the advisory board of which sounds really really exciting what can you kind of tell us about it yeah sure i mean it, i'm really delighted to um be the chair of this advisory board and, and the institute of prosperity for prosperity, I suppose it is what it says on the tin, um, we want to talk about how we make more money in this country and not to make money just to line everybody's pockets, but actually money that can create jobs and give everyone a better sense of the future. And my goodness, we were talking about this before uh, the pandemic, but with COVID, I think it just brings into 
refocus how we need to rethink how our economy is going to run in the future. It cannot be business as usual. And of course, you know, in the north, and you know, I still live in Doncaster and will continue to live in Doncaster. <laughs> but we know that in the north of England, we're already seeing that the impact on the economies in our communities has been harder than many places elsewhere. And so we've got to think about things differently. And for us, uh, it's about manufacturing. Manufacturing has to become much more front and centre of what our economy is all about. And, and that's why with uh, uh, like, uh, Stephen Kinner, with uh, Emma Little-Buck and Steph Peacock in Barnsley, Labour MPs, but also uh, Conservative MPs like John Penrose, Vince Cable, uh, Nigel Vincent in the Lords, who's a Conservative, Professor Stephen Pollock, an academic at Labour, we're doing a cross-party effort here. So I suppose, if you like, dial up the volume on the need for manufacturing, and we hope that we can just amplify those many other voices I know in groups who bang the drum for manufacturing. It's so important, I think, to get our economy rebooted. I think that's so, so interesting, and we will widen it out, not just talking about um, Yorkshire as well, of course, but as we know, a really significant proportion of um, Yorkshire's GVA comes from manufacturing. Has, has there been a real kind of hit to that from coronavirus you know things shutting down and things like that has that been a real kind of concern for the sector yeah it is a real concern because of course you know um lots of people are able to do their jobs um you know from home online we're having this conversation today mm-hmm. wherever you are jerry and where <laughs> hold up in my bedroom in london actually <laughs> um, i'm not sure it's very tidy it's like my office is here but anyway but i mean you know Manufacturing, you know, yes, technology is part of it, but it actually needs people in those places and it needs confidence for people to order and mm-hmm. produce the goods. And of course, um, we've seen that not only has manufacturing jobs declined over many years now, um, but just looking at some of the drop in our GDP growth from July to September this year compared to the same three months last year. Um, we are, you know, we've had the largest drop in the G7. So, you know, these are our really important uh, concerns that we should have uppermost in our mind. And, you know, there is some good news here in the sense that, you know, there has been an injection into the economy of funds to help with the crisis. And, you know, actually, I'm just reading in, in my local paper today here in Doncaster that a local firm has won a contract to help produce uh, a vaccine with Pfizer. Um, I know reading as well um, in, you know, the Yorkshire Post, a Huddersfield firm is involved in manufacturing uh, personal protective equipment. Now, we'd all hope that that wasn't necessarily the case because that's happened because of this virus. But doesn't it tell us something that given the will, given the support, we can make things in our region, in our country, if we put our mind to it. And that's the sort of step change we want to see. I mean, manufacturing is, you know, represents, you know, um, 10% of UK output. Uh, we want to get it up to 15%. In Germany, according to the World Bank, it's 20%. In places like Switzerland, in places like Singapore, and many other places, manufacturing is a much bigger part of their national economy. And we just think um, not only is it um, right to push for a more ambitious target, but it's also what lies beneath that. It's the jobs it's the wealth it puts into communities. And, and you know, what's wrong with having more things made in Britain to sell abroad, but more things that families and businesses use here, having that label too? 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you're right that it's not all bad news. I read something uh, recently, I think it was the UK Attractiveness Survey that said that I think 32% of manufacturers are planning to kind of reshore their activity yeah. to the UK. Um, so you're right, it's not all um, gloomy news. Um, I'm really interested, actually, in what you were talking about there, about jobs and injecting money into communities, because we hear so much from this government in particular, actually, about this levelling up and the Northern powerhouse. And we were chatting a bit about it before we kind of hit record today. So, I mean, is manufacturing and that industry a real key part of that, do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, one of the great things, uh, I think, about manufacturing, and also I would I would add alongside that, you know, infrastructure in our energy supply um, uh-huh. as well. I mean, you know, along the east coast of uh, of uh, Yorkshire and Humber, we've got we've already got opportunities um, happening there. It's not a dream; it's happening there in terms of offshore wind and other other firms coming in to provide the supply chain for that. Um, so we need more of that. And the good thing about it is, is it, it doesn't have to be just located in London, the southeast. Look, I, along with lots of uh, people across the political spectrum, with business as well, you know, and certainly looking recently and listening to the debate about support we needed in the north uh, in terms of going into tier three before we went in this national lockdown we always seem to be having to you know argue our case for a share of the share of the pot Um, I want to get to a future where we are given the investment and the means and the opportunities uh, to grow the wealth in our region not so that we are a victim but we are a, a major player in the economy of our country and that's important for lots of reasons. We need to rebalance our economy because if we don't, there will just be the jobs concentrated in London and that area in the southeast. Um, and if we don't um, create that much more balanced economy across, across the country, we can't create the sort of jobs, the sort of well-paid jobs that people need. And one thing we know about manufacturing, which I think is really interesting, is that manufacturing jobs, and I'm talking across the piece, manufacturing takes many, many different forms, but actually within communities, they do show that they can provide good, well-paid jobs, relevant, well-paid jobs uh, above what we often have at the moment. And in places like Doncaster and other places across uh, the north, um, in many communities that lost those big industries that made them feel, you know, part of the national endeavour, you know, the pride that came with that, as well as the money that came with that. Um, In those communities where that's no longer the case, we've still got too many low-paid, low-skilled jobs, and manufacturing can help to change that. But this needs some government support, right? Because we've heard um, Dan Jarvis particularly recently has been banging on about this local growth fund and kind of how that goes forward. And the reason I mention that is he specifically said that if this money doesn't go forward, we're heading towards a cliff edge. And the reason I'm particularly bringing that up is that some of that money would go to the advanced manufacturing district in Rotherham. So yeah, yeah. is it is it key that the government really gets behind the industry and really injects some kind of investment and stimulation into it, I suppose? Absolutely. I mean, at, at the end of the day, actions speak louder than words. Uh, you know, if we don't increase our, our national investment, I mean, we're... we're so here's just another stat. I'm not a big stat person because you can just get overloaded with it, <laughs> aren't you? But I usually, I just like to have some what I call pillar facts sometimes. So um, the world average in terms of uh, uh, countries' national investment um, from their GDP is, a, is around 25%. We're below 20%. Um, 
we're below 20%. Wow. And what we also know, and this goes to your point and the point that Dan is making too, the imbalance between our national investment and where it goes and where it doesn't go is stark as well. I mean, I, I think uh, I remember uh, whilst I was still an MP, I think in that last year, um, you know, when we were looking at transport share, um, you know, and it's all very well, you know, in, in London, in Whitehall and, and in government, ministers saying, well, we've increased the share um, to places like Yorkshire and the Humber. But actually, it's from a low base. It, it can't compete with the sort of money you need to do the heavy lifting to create the infrastructure you want and the investment that you need. So absolutely, actions speak louder than words. Overall, UK has to up its investment for everywhere across the piece compared to our competitive partners elsewhere. Um, but certainly there should be a better um, share of that coming towards those areas that fundamentally need this as the tools to grow our own wealth. We need this investment to grow our own wealth. And maybe in 20 years time, Jerry, we can be having a different conversation about what we did if they do provide that investment, what we actually did with the money to make a difference. But you can't make a difference without some of that leverage and that power that comes through the resources government can provide to help make it happen. No, absolutely. I think you're completely right. And you kind of said there about, you know, speaking about this kind of stuff, when you when you were still an MP, is this is this something that was on the agenda when you were in Parliament or not really? Is there has there been an increased kind of, I guess, consciousness of the need to invest in manufacturing or are we not quite there yet? Is that the whole point of, um, of the Institute of Prosperity? <laughs> well, <laughs> certainly, you know, when I was in Parliament, I was uh, chair of the cross party um, uh group on the, the Northern Powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, it's particularly in the last two years um, before the general elections on, on transport, but on education and skills as well, because that's the other part of this is it is about, you know, making sure that young people coming through our education system into apprenticeships or into university, wherever they go, are getting the right skill training that they need for the jobs of the future. But it's also, I have to say, about retraining people in work as well uh, to be able to move to other jobs or to adapt to jobs in their existing company uh, so they have a future so yeah those things were part of the debate but I just sort of I don't know I mean when I was um, I mean even when I was a government minister um, uh, under the Labour government you know these things would be talked about but somehow or other I think the um, other parts of if you like the economy just sort of almost got in the way so Mm -hmm. the service sector the financial sector I'm not saying that they aren't important but the over-reliance in terms of our economy on those sectors has been an imbalance that has gone on too long and look I can tell you as an MP there are lots of as a former MP I should say (laughs) hazard, but there we go as a former MP um, you know and you know weren't short of lobbying from different groups that were banging the drum about manufacturing but I think somehow or another that hasn't really gelled into a, a coherent voice to really hold governments to account. I talk about governments to account, whatever political party. Now, we can't, we're not here from the Institute for Prosperity to sort of say that we can do just wave a magic wrong and do this. But I think what we're trying to do um, through our know-how, our experience, our cross-party political um, uh, endeavour here is to help amplify those very expert voices and add to the debate. And to be fair, and on the positive side, it has gone up the agenda because we, after the recession, 
caused by the 2008 financial crash, uh, 10 years in which we haven't really uh, paid down the debt that we needed to do. And then on top of this, uh, the COVID crisis, and let me throw another thing into the pot as well, climate change, you know, we're going to have to adapt to that and that's going to have to reshape our economy as well. You know, maybe, you know, we are at a point here that if we do not marshal our voices, marshal our, our ideas about what needs to be done, um, we will never get a better time to make the changes that we need to make. And we hope to help with that conversation and get some change. Completely right. And it is it is cross party, you know, you, you yourself as the as the chair, but you, like you mentioned earlier, you've got former leader of the Dem, Servants Cable on the board, you've got, you know, um, John Penrose as a Tory MP, and you've got various other um, MPs and peers who come from, you know, both sides, all sides of the of the spectrum. So it definitely is a cross-party endeavour. And I think that, that probably underlines that this is something that hopefully either government can really get behind, because it's not party political, it's that it's for the good of the, for the good of the nation. I, I kind of, I wonder where um, kind of Brexit plays into this because in these in these times it does play into everything. Is there a kind of importance to boost our own manufacturing in the in the kind of post Brexit world as well? Do you think? Uh, yes, but I think it was an issue before um, Brexit mm -hmm. know, as a discussion, certainly before the referendum. I think maybe um, the fact that we're you know we've left the European Union. Um, it maybe has focused people's minds and attention on aspects of our economy and how we trade and how we don't trade and what's coming in, what's going out, probably more than ever before. Um, so that in itself isn't a, uh, isn't a bad thing. Um, but uh, clearly, um, you know, in the last year, I mean, obviously compared to my last year in Parliament, you know, Brexit as a national conversation has obviously taken a, been put on the back burner in some respects in public mm -hmm. because we've had so many other things to deal with. But certainly, you know... Um, you know, we need to think about, you know, how we reshape our economy, how we do jobs. We will still be trading with the European Union, regardless of, you know, what happens. Yet I still think, touch wood as I touch my desk here, um, I still think there will be a deal. I always thought there would be at the end of the day and we'll, and we'll see what happens there. But clearly, and again, here's a consensus that we didn't have a year ago, um, Keir Starmer's made it very clear that um, we've left the European Union. Of course, he'd like to see a deal, but you know we've left and he's not going to reopen that debate. Um, and therefore, the Labour Party, as much as the Conservative Party, um, is keen to think about, well, what do we do as a country uh, to get back in on track uh, to tackle you know, getting a, va a vaccine, getting more treatments, mm -hmm. defeating this virus, tackling climate change? but also creating the wealth we need for jobs and skills and, and importantly, the wealth we need to pay for public services. Um, that's the agenda now. And, um, you know, in many respects, weirdly, it's a, it's, it's a good thing to be able to get back onto that solid ground. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Well, I, you know, I obviously wish the, um, the Institute all, all the success and I'm sure we'll keep up with with what you guys are doing. And um, the only other thing is before I let you go, I couldn't let you come on without asking what you think of uh, kind of how the Labour Party is looking now, because it's a completely different party to what it was kind of a year ago, really, isn't it? Um. Well, I think the Labour Party still got some challenges. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. different party with a different leader, but um you know the uh you know some of the obviously the situation recently 
regarding Jeremy Corbyn, uh, the anti-Semitism uh, uh, report uh, by the European Human Rights Commission, um, you know, the party's still got a way to go, I think, mm. in terms of uh, what it's about. But importantly, beyond that, um, it's about the Labour Party showing that it's going to rebuild its relationship with those predominantly working class communities in the North who voted Tory. Um, some people a year ago thought that the challenge for Labour, if there was a general election, was losing middle class liberal voters. Um, the real challenge uh, was to consolidate and consolidate and maintain our working class base in the North who had generationally voted Labour and their families who went to the Tories. I mean, you know, again, here's just one more little fact that I, that I will leave with you. I mean, the Conservatives pulled mo more votes in every social group in society in the general election of 2019. Uh, that has never happened in my lifetime. And, and therefore, you know, the Labour Party's got to think about, you know, whilst being sensitive to liberal opinion, they have to have their ears open and be sensitive to our, our working class voters as well. We have, in many respects, there are similarities with the Democrats. Uh, in America. So it was interesting for me and, you know, delighted to see how Joe Biden um, was able to reach in and get votes back in states that were needed for him to become president of the United mm -hmm. States of America, or I should say president-elect, but wait and see what happens next. But that's where Labour has to be. It has to restore its trust with those communities because, you know, the red wall seats as, as they are called, much has been written about that, Jerry. And, and talked about that since the general election. Um, um, much of what people have analysed and said, um, I would have to say, um, uh, I was saying before, um, there was a reason why those voters went from us. And as much as anything, it was about a relationship that uh, yeah. had been weakened uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but that's where we need to make sure we don't think that that's just going to bounce back. We need to work hard to win their trust again. Um, and I think, you know, Keir has made a good start. Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And a long road ahead. Will we um, will we see your name back on the ballot paper, do you reckon, in 2024? Or is that uh, not all up in the air at the moment? <laughs> I, I, I'm still traumatised about losing. I mean, as I say, every every time that I'm just getting through this year of every time there's an anniversary. And, you know, and it's a lot to deal with, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, being an MP for 22 years and, and, and the circumstances. I mean... Thankfully, you know, people, I live in Doncaster and, and people here have been lovely to me and send me messages and, and I'm here, I'm out in Doncaster doing some community volunteering that I've always done. Obviously, you know, trying to support the efforts by Doncaster Council and others to encourage people to, you know, keep healthy and keep well. Um, but um, so, yeah, you know, here I'm, I'm still here and I'm still hoping to contribute in whatever way I can. Help brilliant do better and the country as well. Absolutely. Caroline, thank you so much for coming on Pods and Country. It's been really good to chat. You're welcome. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to Pods Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. Uh, we would really love it if you had the time to share this podcast, to leave us a review, and of course to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Uh, I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and we'll be back next week with another episode. Making a difference in the world, living more sustainably, and driving better business practices. It's the change we all want to see. Imagine combining that with a free, fully funded master's degree and a generous tax-free bursary. 
Board Bia Talent Academy is giving you an opportunity that could change the course of your career. In partnership with UCD Michael Smurfit Graduate Business School, we're now enrolling for two programs. The Origin Green Ambassador Program, focus on sustainability, and the Supply Chain and Procurement Program, focus on commercial food and drink buying. Applications close on May 14th. For more details, visit boardbia.ie slash talentacademy.